tonight at 4.30. Come back. We're going to uh, have a short service. It's called Lessons and Carols. It's a historical service that churches have done for many, many years um, where we're going to read the story of Jesus' birth from the scriptures. We're going to sing songs of Christ coming to dwell among us, and we're going to light candles at the end. And this morning, though, instead of focusing on, uh, on the story of the Lord's birth, specifically just the, uh, you know, the main passage that we typically do every year, we're, we're going to look at it, but we're going to look at it from this different angle, okay, from a perspective that I hope is going to help connect what we've been learning in Genesis. And if you haven't been with us in Genesis, it's okay, you'll catch right up. Uh, but what we've been learning in Genesis with the birth of Jesus uh, so if you will, grab your Bible and head over there, your Bible app, whatever it is, to get in front of you to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 3, and then find verse 23 of Luke. So Luke 3, verse 23 is where we're at. Now, as you get there, you, you might think, <clears throat> um, as you're getting there, you look at you might think, I think he gave the reference wrong, because this is just a bunch of names. Uh, this is what has historically been called the begots, right, which is just a past tense use of the word beget. And that's not a word we use very often, is it, right? It's, 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 it's a word that means something along the lines of uh, gave birth to or, or fathered, right? A, you know, the descended from kind of idea. Um, but it's not a word we use very often, right? When the, when the Irvins uh, sent out a, a birth announcement recently, it, it didn't say, Brad and Emily have beget Callie, right? No, no one wants to see that word like that. We wouldn't know what it means even, right? We don't talk that way. So... Uh, then again, right here, if you look, you're looking at passages like it doesn't even say begot here, and that might be the case if you're using the, um, the ESV, right? Because instead of that, begot is this word that was in the old King James. That's the way it came over into the English, old English in that point. ESV says father. That's what most of you are seeing. Uh, NASB, NIV says son of so-and-so and so on. Um, and anyway, right, if you're, if you're wondering at this, right, why, if you're going to use a genealogy at all, why use Luke's genealogy? Because... You've already probably noticed, right? We're, we're a bit into this at this point. Jesus is 30 years old here. Why not use uh, Matthew's genealogy, which is right at the beginning when Jesus is a baby, which is more, you know, Christmassy context of, of, of the birth of Christ. And I promise that's going to make sense to you in a little bit. Uh, and then the last thing before we read is <clears throat> there's a lot of big words here, and I just need you to know, right? Um, these names are a nightmare for me. They just are, right? In seminary, we were told when you get to these kind of things, if you don't know how to pronounce them, just plow forward like you do know what you're saying, and no one else is going to know it anyway as long as you're confident. Um, but I'm that bad at pronouncing these, and I, I know that you're going to know, and I just want you to know that I know that too, and so we can get beyond that and just, you know, this is what it is. So anyway, Luke chapter 3, <clears throat> beginning in verse 23. Jesus when he began his ministry, was about 30 years of age, being the son, as was supposed, of Joseph, the son of Heli, the son of Mephat, the son of Levi, the son of Melchi, the son of Jemani, the son of Joseph, the son of Matthias, the son of Amos, the son of Nahum, the son of Ishli, the son of Nagai, the son of Math, the son of Matthias, the son of uh, Simeon, the son of Joseph, the son of Jodah, the son of Joan, the son of Resha, the son of Zerubbabel, the son of uh, Shiltiel, the son of Neri, the son of Melchi, the son of Adi, the son of Kossim, the son of El Eladam, the son of Er, the son of Joshua, the son of El Eliezer, the son of Joram, the son of uh, <clears throat> Mathat, the son of Levi, the son of 
uh, of Simeon, the son of Judah, the son of Joseph, the son of Jonam, the son of Elikim, the son of Mela, uh, the son of Mina, the son of Mephaphatha, that's not it, the son of Nathan, the son of David, the son of Jesse, the son of Obed, the son of Boaz, the son of Salah, the son of Nashon, the son of Aminadab, the son of Admin, the son of Arni, the son of Herzon, the son of Perez, the son of Judah, the son of Jacob, the son of Isaac, the son of Abraham, the son of Terah, the son of Nahor, the son of Serug, the son of Ru, the son of Pelg, the son of Eber, the son of Shelah, the son of Canaan, the son of Orphax, the son of Shem, the son of Noah, the son of Lamech, the son of Methuselah, the son of Enoch, the son of Jared, the son of Mathaliel, the son of Canaan, the son of Enos, the son of Seth, the son of Adam, the son of God. The grass withers and the flower fades. Let us pray. Lord God Almighty, this is your word and you give it for our edification. You, you give it for our correction, for training in righteousness so that, so that we may understand there is hope and salvation in Jesus Christ and in Jesus Christ alone. Uh, Holy Spirit, please enlighten our minds to understand even this strange passage this morning, uh, and may it bring nourishment to our souls today. <clears throat> In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So many years ago, I preached this in a different context uh, of a God's passage, and when I told Laura about the passage that week, uh, being the incredible encourager she is, she just said, nobody likes the Bagots. Like, maybe I'm just supposed to skip this, Right? But, but she's right, isn't it? I mean, we don't like the gods. No one does like it. I, I see people with tattoos all the time that have Bible verses or Bible references, right? Sometimes it's, it's Greek or Hebrew, something like that. And in all my years, I have never seen a tattoo that has a begot in it, right? Not even in the Greek or Hebrew, which would look cool and people could ask you about it, right? No, no one's ever said, you know, hey, Ashton, check out my new ink and then pulled up their sleeve and along there, right, was the son of Amos, the son of Nahum, the son of Eli, the son of Nagai. No one's ever done that. And I, I'm willing to bet some of you have verses on your walls in decorative ways or, or somehow in your house. Uh, I'm willing to bet none of you have a bagats up in your house. And if you've read this, this right, passage ahead of time, I, I, you know, like, like I wish we all would before the preaching, I, I bet you weren't all, you know what, I am so looking forward to this passage. I've been waiting to hear this one preached over the years, right? And, and be honest, what, what do you do in your own personal Bible reading when you get to the baguettes, right? You get here and you read the first and you're like, no, no, not a chance. Skipping down to chapter 4 right there. That's the way we do it, right? You just skip over it. And I don't say that to shame you by any means. That's, that is absolutely my tendency too. Um, but we treat the baguettes, these these genealogy lists, a lot like those software agreements. We're like, just, okay, whatever I disagree to is fine, right? And, and in a, a church that, that maybe preaches topical sermons, this is the kind of passage that never, ever, ever gets preached. And yet, when, when Paul, in Acts 20, 27, right, uh, says, says there that he has declared the whole counsel of God, right, all of God's word, this passage is included in that idea. Right? It, it tells you something about who we are. It tells us something about who Jesus is. Right? It reveals so much about redemptive history for us. And, and so that's why I want us to consider it today. And it begins with this curious statement before we get to all the names. Right? Have a look. Verse 23. Jesus, when he began his ministry, was about 30 years of age, being the son, as was supposed, of Joseph. So first of all, Jesus is 30 years old at this point. He's not a baby. Um, 30 years old, though, that's the same age 
uh, that Joseph began serving Pharaoh. That's the same age that David becomes king of Israel. It's the same age that the Levites began their priestly services in the sanctuary. Um, but but Jesus' age here really is not the curious part, is it? It's, it's the, that part there, that weird statement in the middle telling us that Jesus is the son of Joseph. And uh, you see it there, right? It's uh, as was supposed. And this sounds a little bit like Luke is, is spilling the tea, right? But, but Luke, as he, as he writes this, Luke knows full well that Jesus is God incarnate. He knows that Jesus was conceived in the womb of Mary, not, not by Joseph knowing Mary, but by a miracle of God the Father. In other words, Luke is just saying here, here's what he's trying to get across to us, not that maybe he's not, right, but that he wants us to know that Joseph wasn't Jesus' biological father as some supposed he would, as all the neighbors would have supposed. And, and while Joseph wasn't his biological father, he was his father legally, socially, relationally. Now, from this point forward is where our passage gets super interesting, right? Because it is simply a list of 75 names. 75 names here. Um, to understand this list properly, though, you, you need to know that Luke is, is writing to a specific audience. In fact, it's one individual that he's writing to, to a, a Roman official by the name of Theophilus. Um, Theophilus is not a Gentile, or sorry, is not a Jew. He is a Gentile, which just means someone who's not a Jew, everyone else, right? Uh, and he's someone who's interested in Jesus, and so he's putting down this to, to share it with them. Now, now let me ask you, you, you know, say you're meeting a friend for lunch. Uh, it's a Tuesday, and you're standing outside of Taco Lucha waiting for the line to go down because uh, you can't wait to taste that weird-sounding but delicious taco that has peanut butter and a, and a pickle on it, right? And someone waves at you from across the street, and you wave back, and your friend's looking at you, and you feel like, oh, I should probably explain who that person is. Uh, you know, who's the guy that's waving at us? What, what, what's the general info you get, right? You probably give their name, right? But then you tend to give something about, like, oh, you know, he, he owns uh, Alliance Realty, or, you know, he's a, you know, that's a professor over at K-State, or that dude drives tanks in the army. Something about what they tend to do uh, as a profession, right? We, we often explain people primarily by their jobs in our culture. Uh, but it hasn't always been that way. In fact, when I was a child, I remember visiting my grandma, Mamie we called her, uh, and, and she lives in Charleston, Missouri. That's where my dad grew up, and we'd go back there. Uh, and we'd drive around town, and my dad would, would just point out people in, in houses and then begin to give us kind of the whole genealogy of what's going on there, right? And, you know... Oh, that's, you know, that's where uh, Alfred lives. And, you know, I met, you met Alfred before, and those are his, you know, his sons. And, you know, those are the grandchildren of Herb and Nina Marshall. And, and, and that's just the way that people, you know, do that. And in Bible times, that's the way people were defined too, is, is who are you related to? Who are your people? Who's your lineage? And, and so as Luke's telling us about Jesus, he's telling us who Jesus' people are, who his family is. And, and he does this not not at the very beginning of Luke, right, like Matthew does, but three chapters into this gospel. And the placement of this is incredibly significant. I'm going to come back to that, don't worry. But, but first, though, let me tell you why I'm not using the begets in, in Matthew's gospel, right? And, and that's because it's, it's not the same list of names. They're different, which might concern you for a little bit, right? Especially when you see Joseph's name at the top of both of them. But <clears throat> it's no cause for doubt. Uh, it's not an error at all. Uh, these two lists are like 
like two highways that are, are traveling, right? And they cross at one point and share the pavement, and then they, they go along their own way. That's why you see some of this overlap. And yet, you know, so, so most of it, though, they're going in different directions. They, they both start with Jesus and Joseph, and, and that's when they go in different directions. And then they converge again at, at King David, right? But, but Matthew's highway ends at, at Abraham, which is Genesis chapter 12. It just stops right there because Matthew has a purpose for this. And while Luke's list continues all the way to the end of a line with Adam and with God who created Adam. And again, I'll explain that in a, in a little bit. But you know, first, right? But for now, why, why the two lists? And the same reason here is, is the reason that you would have two lists if you go and actually trace your own genealogy, right? One list that follows your father's lineage and one that follows your mother's lineage. Um, and you don't want those to be the same list. You really don't. Uh, and so Matthew here, is, or Matthew records Joseph's genealogy, everything going back there. But Luke, who knows much more about Mary, likely from knowing her personally, Luke refor- uh, records Mary's genealogy. You see Heli there, H-E-L-I in verse 23. That's, that is not Joseph's father, that is Mary's father. And you think, well, why is Joseph's name there? That's the part that really throws us. And, and the reason is that the, the lineages were always done in the father's name. Whoever was the, the male household of the family is the way it was done. And so even in Mary's line, the head of the household, male head of the household there, would have been Joseph. And so that's why you get that weird little thing going on there. <clears throat> so it's, anyway, this is Mary's, right? And, and scientifically speaking, Jesus' biological heritage is through Mary, not, not Joseph. Now, the reason, uh, well, I just explained that, right, with the thing. So, so Matthew is tracing Jesus' paternal genealogy, and Luke is tracing Jesus' maternal genealogy. Now, the reason that these lists come together is because Mary and Joseph were relatives. And you're like, I thought you said they weren't. Well, they are, but it's, a, it's, it's not immediate cousins, right? Not like, like we joke about Arkansas, and not super close like, like Cain and Seth's wives were that we saw back in uh, and Genesis last, last week, right? But, but very, very distant relatives. Their, their list, right, is it's converging here at King David. Um, it shows us by that, in fact, that, that Jesus has a double claim to the throne of Israel. He has it both paternally and maternally through his mother and his father's line. So, uh, I still haven't told you why Luke gives us this genealogy when Jesus is 30 years old. It seems incredibly out of place, right? And instead of his birth, where Matthew does it. Now, if you've got your Bibles open, what, what's it right before here, right? Or what is right before this, rather? It's, it's, it's Jesus' baptism is what you're seeing there, right? And in Jesus' baptism, think about the things we are learning about Jesus, right? We are learning with certainty uh, that Jesus is uniquely divine, that he is divine, that he is truly the Son of God. Remember the Father says after the baptism, you are my beloved Son. With you, I am well pleased. And so you have that uh, divine connection there. This solid affirmation that, that Jesus is fully divine. He's God. But, but to really know who Jesus is, you need to know at this point that Jesus isn't just God pretending to be man. Jesus is indeed truly and fully human. That's an important part of understanding who Jesus is. That he's, that he's not just wrapped in flesh, and I know we use that phrase, but, but not wrapped in flesh in, this, in the sense of like maybe you put on a costume, right? But, but he is actually, truly in flesh just like you and me. And, and so here we see that Jesus has a family tree, that Jesus has a real history, right? DNA and all that. Now, many years ago, when, when the Wycliffe Bible translators were in Papua New Guinea, and there's a whole bunch of, of tribes that go back, you're talking really primitive tribes there, and they were translating Matthew's gospel, 
And as they're doing it, they, they did the thing we do. They saw the bagots in chapter 1 and like, let's just skip this. Who cares about this? Uh, and they go forward with their translation starting in chapter 2. Uh, but then near the end of the project, they decided, well, let's go back and just finish this, this out. And, and they go back and, and, uh, and they gathered to do this. They gathered the tribe together, some of the leaders in the tribe, and we're asking them this question, you know, hey, what's the best way to translate this idea of bagot? You know, fathered. What's the best thing in your language to explain this? <clears throat> and they gave him the answer, and those tribe people remained there. You know, it's really easy to translate once you have that word. <clears throat> and, and as they were translating, right, they, they go, Abraham fathered Isaac, and Isaac fathered Jacob, and so on. And by the time they translated six of those names, the, the tribe's people started to get incredibly excited, you know, in a way that we just don't about these kind of begots. But they got incredibly excited, and one of the tribe's people uh, finally asked, do you mean that these men are real? This was the shocking part to them. And they said, yes, yes, these are real men. And the tribes people went, that's what we do, right? We keep track of our families like that. We, we thought these were just pretend white man stories that you've been telling us. We didn't know these were real people. Uh, and, and those boring begots actually turned out to be hugely significant for this tribe as they come to believe in Christ, come to believe the gospel, come to, to see this redemption in history, real history. Right, because real people have real genealogies. And it showed them that Jesus is not fiction. He's real in history. You see, modern evangelicals, as as such, right, we're quick to defend the truth that Jesus is God, and we should be. And I think that's where a lot of people struggle the most to, to understand this. Um, but we also often minimize or even question the humanity of Jesus, right? We don't think much about that, because that's not as impressive uh, you know, Wayne Greedham, speaking on Jesus' humanity, wrote this. He said, It is by far the most amazing miracle in the whole Bible. Far more amazing than the resurrection and more amazing than the creation of the universe. The fact that the infinite, omni omnipotent, eternal Son of God could become a man and join himself to a human nature forever. So that infinite God became one person with finite man. And this will remain for eternity the most profound miracle and the most profound mystery in all of the universe. Martin Luther, a few hundred years before that, said it like this, the mystery of the humanity of Christ, <clears throat> that he sunk himself into our flesh, is beyond all human understanding. In one sense, he's right, right? The, the details are beyond our understanding, but that Jesus is indeed 100% human, all fully human, and at the same time fully divine, it, it's within our understanding simply because God reveals that to us in the Scriptures. And so now, have a look at this list for a minute. You, you look through that. You recognize any of the names that you're reading in there. For about half of them, we don't know anything about them at all. We just know their name. That's it. But some of these men, we, we tend to think of as heroes of the faith, don't we? We, we recognize, and that's how we think of it, right? For one reason, they believe the promises of God, even even in the face of such difficult circumstances. For other thing, we know all these great Bible stories. We heard about them when we were children. <clears throat> and yet, yet think about this, right? Th this is the family line of Jesus. It is easy to believe that they are all just amazing people, right? Can you imagine being in this family line, how wonderful it would be? But the truth is they are all truly sinners and significantly so. I mean, you look again at the names on this list, right? Noah, sure, he was righteous before the flood, but later in life, he becomes an absolute drunkard. Judah, Judah sleeps with a prostitute who turns out to be his daughter-in-law who's intentionally trying to trick him. 
She, she has a child who is both Judah's son and his grandson, kind of. I don't know how that technically works out, but it's definitely Jerry Springer. Uh, Abraham was a liar and a coward. His father, right, Terah, he, who's listed here, he literally worshipped idols. Jacob, for all the good, right, Jacob was a shady, scheming liar. When you really get down to it, David committed adultery and, and then so wants to cover up his adultery that he, he, he has Bathsheba's murder, or husband murdered. Uh, Boaz's mother, Rahab, she was a prostitute uh, before she begot him. I mean, you, you think your family has some crazy or weird history? <clears throat> this is the family of our Lord. The family of this perfect child who we celebrate today. You see, Jesus comes from this long line of scoundrels who are deeply in need of grace, in need of a Savior who can bring about forgiveness and, and give them his righteousness. It's isn't this your history too, right? To, to, to different degrees, right? That we come from a long line of, of scoundrels, right? This, this should be hope to you that come from families that are all sorts of messiness, right? That, you know, the messy isn't just our relatives either, right? The names on this list are a lot like you and I, both in the way that they sin, right? But, but also as people who enjoyed so much of life, who faced sorrows, who were stressed out about the future, who worried about so much, you know, who faced difficult situations in life. And not only that, but, but this list is people who at various ages and by various causes died. Right? That's the curse of the fall. And the same will happen to us. You will die and this life will become no more. Merry Christmas, right? You're like, this is the best Christmas sermon ever. I don't know why we don't talk about death more, right? It's kind of dark for Christmas. And I get that. I understand. You're like, so why mention it? Why mention it, right? Because that's the point of Jesus becoming human. That's the point of the birth of Jesus that we are celebrating today and tomorrow. He Hebrews 2.17 says that Jesus had to be made like his brothers in every respect. Brothers, right? Talking about humanity here, right? So that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of his people, right? To make a payment for our sins, he had to be like us. To save us, Jesus had to become one of us. You hearing this? To save you, Jesus had to become like you. And that's the miracle of this birth of Jesus. And so we, we can be grateful to God that while we live in a world where all things are constantly dying, that the reality, we, we are able to turn to Jesus who is a living Savior and who gives us faith so that through union with Christ, though we will die, all of us, right, we will live with him and his kingdom forever. And, and so in this giant list of scoundrels, we can be so grateful that there is Jesus who lives the perfect life and dies for us, right, that he is in that genealogy. Now there's just one last bit of significance to these names and, and their placement in the Gospel of Luke I, I want to point out to you. And and really, this is getting back to answer that question I, I suggested earlier, right? Why, why Luke's genealogy instead of the more Christmassy Matthew genealogy here on Christmas Eve? You, you see, here's why. Um, while Matthew traces Jesus' lineage back to Abraham, emphasizing his Jewish history, heritage, Luke's list goes all the way back to the first man. I know I kind of mentioned this, but here's why it's significant. It goes, it goes back to Adam, right? It goes back to his creation by God, thus displaying that Jesus is not just a savior for the Jews, but he is a savior for the Gentiles too, for all of humanity who will trust in him. Now to be more specific, this genealogy terminates in God, right? Now look at verse 38, the son of Adam, the son of God. 
This is the only genealogy in the scriptures that ends with God. And so Adam, as the very first man, can be referred to here, as we see, as the son of God. Because, you know, who was Adam's father? Where, where did he come from? He wasn't born uh, of a woman here, right? He was uniquely from God. And that's why people ask that ridiculous question, right? Did Adam have a belly button because there was no umbilical cord and all that, right? Now, now surely you remember, right? Because it's only been a few weeks if you've been here with us, right? Adam, the first man created by God from the dirt of the ground, he was tempted by Satan in a lush garden and he failed and he sinned, right? We saw all that very recent. And so every boy and girl born from that day forward has been born with a sinful nature. Yes, even sweet little Callie who we baptized today, sinful nature, and so there has to be another man who can also be called the Son of God if he is to be the Redeemer for humanity. And remember, just before this genealogy, what we see? It's the baptism of Jesus, right? Do you, do you know what comes next after this, after, right after the genealogy? And remember at the baptism, we're seeing this, oh, Jesus, this is the Son of God, right? Like Adam. If you glance forward, or, you know, for, yeah, forward, right? If you have your Bible open, you see what, you know, what's he followed up his genealogy with? It's Jesus being tempted in the wilderness by Satan. I think you've seen this before, right? Uh, here is Jesus, the Son of God, like Adam, being tempted by the devil, like Adam. You know, and, and Jesus in the New Testament is referred to as the last Adam, Adam sometimes as the second Adam. Listen to 1 Corinthians 15.45. The first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam became a, a life-giving spirit. There is this connection between Adam and, and Jesus. Luke is, is making that connection for us in this genealogy. Now just before we read about the second Adam, who is Jesus being tempted by Satan, that's when he's making this connection. That's why it's here in chapter 3 and not at the very beginning at his birth. Now, you see, only this time the difference between what we saw in Genesis, right, is instead of a lush garden, it's out in the wilderness. And this time, instead of once, Jesus is being tempted three times. And this time, right, spoiler alert, Jesus, the second Adam, the Son of God, born to Mary and Joseph, Jesus, who is fully God and fully man, Jesus, this time he succeeds. The second Adam resists the temptation of Satan. The second Adam obeys the Lord. And, and Romans 5.17 gives us a full picture of Adam's failure and Jesus' victory when, when Paul says this. He says, for if by one of one man's trespass, sin, right, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. So that's why. Um, I, I just wanted to bring to life a little bit the meaning of Christmas and not just the story of Christmas, but what it all means to us. And I want to end now with a, a short poem written by uh, uh, Kent Hughes, I almost said John Hughes, that'd be a different poem, uh, but Kent Hughes, uh, a poem that brings out the significance of the incarnation, the, the birth of baby Jesus that we, we celebrate during this Advent season. And let me, let me preface it by saying this, right? Women, when you hear the word son here uh, in the last two lines, that includes you as well. Just understand it that way. Uh, and Hughes writes this, Christ, the son of God, became a son of Adam, that we, sons of Adam, might become sons of God. If your faith is in Jesus Christ, this family tree is also your family tree. You are a child of God forever. Let's, let's pray. <clears throat> Gracious Heavenly Father, <clears throat> thank you for the work of redemption that you planned before creation. 
and have been bringing to fruition throughout each generation leading up to Jesus and so on. Jesus, thank you for coming to dwell among us, for coming as a, a baby and for succeeding where Adam failed so that our sins are forgiven when we are united to you by faith. And Lord, grant faith to all who have heard your word today. As we celebrate your birth this evening and tomorrow morning, may we find true joy in the gift of redemption which you have given freely to your people. This we pray in the name of Jesus, the son of Joseph, son of Heli, son of David, son of Abraham, son of Adam, the son of God. Amen.